0: Welcome to the Cook Center podcast, and here's your host. Oh, I hate these flood pants. Hey, they're working. My feet are soaked, but my cups are bone dry. Everything's coming up, Millhouse. Michael Preston.
1: Uh. Did anything go on today in Pullman, except for everything, because literally everything is coming up Millhouse right now in Pullman, Washington. My God, (laughs) what I am willing to stake my reputation on saying this has been the most eventful sports Thursday in Washington State University history. As I sit here and record this podcast, my God, what a freaking day in Pullman. Nick Rolovich, the new head basketball, or head basketball, we're going to talk about basketball, the new head football coach, introduced to the media and the fans at the basketball game, where Kyle Smith's squad, missing Deion James, missing Jalen Shedd, missing Marvin Cannon, and missing Tony Miller, who... Has really come on this year. Uh, They just kind of, you know, beat the number 8 team in the country, 72-61. to It has been a bit of a day. Welcome to the Coug Center Hour. Oh, by the way, Kainoa Carlson from Hawaii News Now is going to stop by to talk about Nick Rolovich with us here in a little bit. He covered... Uh, Rolovich while he was at the university of Hawaii. We're going to talk about, oh, and the PAC 12 schedule came out today. God, I almost, I almost forgot about that. And that's huge in and of itself. (laughs) It's been a bit of a day. Uh, we're going to talk about that later. And then as always our dunderhead of the week and ask Michael anything to end it. Um, it is not usual on this show. And frankly, it, it would not have happened, uh, if the result had been different 20 minutes ago, for the news of the new head coach of the football team being introduced to be literally, and I can finally say this, I've always wanted to say this as a sports talk showy person. Uh, it's not often you can knock that story off the top of our show. But the basketball team did on Thursday night. A game of some runs back and forth, Oregon clawing back and taking leads. But Washington State, at the end of the game, making big plays, holding to the basketball, blocking shots from Oregon, and making their possessions end without baskets or turnovers. And Washington State, for the first time since 2007, beats a top-10 team. They beat Oregon 72-61 at Beasley Coliseum in Pullman. Oh, by the way, with Clay Thompson and Steph Curry on the way for his jersey retirement at a nearly sold-out Beasley Coliseum on Saturday. I am literally in awe of everything that is going on. But let's talk about that basketball win a little bit because of how big it is. And I, I think it's it's a big, 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 big win for Kyle Smith in this program. I mean, it, it's kind of stating the obvious. But really, when you're looking to kind of carry and build a program into something, a signature win like that uh, really does it. And I, I think the other thing, too, is you don't see... That team coming close to doing that, they didn't come, you know, they didn't do that under Ken Bone, they certainly didn't even come close under Ernie Kent. So, the coaching job Kyle Smith can do, especially coming off that weekend where they gave up a huge lead to Cal and lost in Berkeley to arguably the worst team in the conference, although they don't look that way after they beat Washington a couple days later. And then you lay an absolute egg in Palo Alto at Maples Pavilion against Stanford. I mean, just an absolutely horrific game. To be able to take that team, again, down four key contributors on Thursday night in Pullman. Taking that team and elevating them to the level that they beat the Oregon Ducks. The number eight ranked Oregon Ducks. It I, it defies logic with this team. I think I've said before this is going to be a very weird season where you see them lose befuddling games like they do against Cal and win befuddling games like they do against the Oregon Ducks. So it, it, I'm surprised still, it doesn't surprise me in up and down performance, but I think it speaks to the coaching job Kyle Smith is doing with this basketball team that, that after that weekend, that after an absolutely debilitating weekend in the Bay Area, they come out on Thursday night, just a few days later with just a couple of practices and they beat Oregon. That is an incredible job. And credit to the players on that team too. For having the wherewithal to say, you know what? We're not we're not as bad as that result says we are. We're going to move past it. And we are going to perform better. And we are going to do our damnedest to beat the Oregon Ducks. And we want this game. And they certainly got it. Outscored Oregon 38-24 in the second half although some of that a cup just a couple of garbage time free throws but really i mean that's that really is reflective of how that second half went shot 11 of 21 after starting i think it was eight for 12 in the game so they certainly cooled off in the second half but cj Ellaby had 25 points isaac bonton had 12 points he also had six assists including a really nice dish to jeff pollard near the end of the game to open up i don't remember exactly what the uh, margin was there but to open up uh, the margin a little further, and then I think Oregon missed their next shot, and that really pretty much sealed it. Uh, and again, 15 turnovers on the night, but they forced 16 from Oregon, so it's a little more turnovers than we're used to seeing from them, but only eight or only four turnovers in the second half. So they held on to the basketball better in that second half, allowing them to outscore Oregon much better in the second half. And I'm just quickly looking at the box score here because I'm, just, I'm still just floating on air on this. Absolutely, I I just congratulations to Kyle Smith and this team. I think I think that's about the best I can say. I know Jeff and Craig are thrilled with it, and they're gonna have you way better covered in terms of the analysis and knowing exactly what's going on, basketball stats and what they do with it, and how and how great they are at it. There, that is their forte. It is not mine. But I, I, I wow, <laughs> that was fun. I I stopped watching at one point because every time I like turned like I would walk into the room with the TV, uh, they would, Oregon would like claw back and take the lead. So I just went to the grocery store for a little bit. Like at halftime, I was like, okay, that's my cue. They aren't winning when I'm watching. I'll go to the grocery store, picked up some things, came back home. My wife had turned the game back on because she wanted to watch it, and they took the lead. So apparently, I think it was just that my wife needed to be. Actively engaged in watching it. That was the thing. And then they took the lead, ran away with it. That and I I honestly that's as thrilled as I've been watching a cougar basketball game I, I, easily since Ernie's first season. They they had a couple of nice wins that year, but I it wow. <laughs> I, I honestly it it is hard to you know kind of wrap your head around that especially after how bad this team has been for so long that they have a coach that and keep in mind he really tore down this roster got some of his own guys here but he still did all that roster construction in not very much time at all and he has this team playing this well and believing in themselves this well that they can go out and win a basketball game like that Oregon State's a tough out too but I have a feeling after that game, they, I think they said about 9,500 tickets sold on Thursday for the Oregon State game. I, I have a feeling you're going to have your first sellout in a while at Beasley Coliseum, or it should be darn close to it uh, with everything going on that Saturday uh, with Clay Thompson in the building, with Steph Curry in the building, with the number of retirement ceremony, with this win. Uh, it would not surprise me to see that building be completely full on Saturday. And I hope it is completely full on Saturday. This is... Wow. Uh, <laughs> that is just... That is an incredible... I, I, uh, wow. <laughs> that's 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 super freaking cool. This I, That's my immediate analysis. We are just minutes after the game has ended here when I'm recording this. And I feel the raw emotion is good. Like when we did that emergency podcast on Tuesday after Nick Rolovich got hired. So, speaking of Nick Rolovich, since we knocked him off the top of the show with such incredibly great news from Beasley Coliseum, uh, I am still floating on air that, you know, Pat Chun went out, really made that decision quick, targeted someone, got them into the building, or into the building, but, you know, into an interview, and hired him so quickly. And that he went so directly after the person that he wanted. And but for everything we've heard about Nick Rolovich, that hire was praised by national media. It was, you know, something that I think we've seen the players uh, get behind, certainly on social media. They all came out of that team meeting very excited. And I do want to play for you um, what Nick Rolovich said to those players in that team meeting because I thought it was. You know, I I try to avoid, you know, the whole, like, you know, really putting a lot of stock into what these guys say because, you know, I I mean, it can be not just disingenuous, but, you know, it's just, it's things that coaches say to players because they're in a meeting with them and, and, you know, they want to impress them at first because none of these players are Nick Rolovich's. They're all, you know, somebody who, you know, they were all recruited by a different coach. They all came here for different reasons than to be coached by Nick Rolovich, so... I I did think, though, that this, at least it felt genuine to me. It felt like a guy who meant everything that he said and who who really, truly wants to do the things he tells these players. So take a listen to this. This is from the WSU uh, football Twitter feed.
0: Honored to coach you guys. I'm standing in front of the room of the best athletes I've ever had the ability to coach, and that excites me, okay? Um, I appreciate the round of applause. I would like, I mean, it's out of respect. I appreciate that, but I would like to earn your trust. I would like to earn, I I don't even consider myself, I consider myself a Coug now, but I do not consider myself in your family. I'd like to earn that right, okay? This is what you guys have built, okay? This is what you guys will continue to build. um, And I'm not gonna, I'm your coach. I want to get in your family, okay? I'm a, I'm a guy that will care about you as a person. I want you guys to be the best football players you can be. I want you to be the best people you can be. Because in reality, some of you may be fathers already, okay? But someday you're, most of you are going to be fathers. You're going to be husbands. You're going to be leaders in your community some way, okay? And I want to try to help help you be the best you can be in that on, that, on those three off-field phases, okay, for your future. I think that
1: that you know it it does kind of encapsulate Nick Rolovich here and I mean, you know you see a lot of coaches go into meetings and tell players that you know we're going to be successful and I really wanted to be here and all that other good stuff but I I don't think I've ever really heard a coach and and you know again I I I don't have a reason to believe it's not true I'm just generally kind of cynical about these kind of things but in this case and maybe it's my crimson colored glasses here but I really do believe when he says I want to earn your praise. I want to earn the applause. You know, I want to mold you into leaders in your community. I want to mold you into good husbands and good fathers and all the other stuff. He wants to earn being part of the family. And I think for a fan base and a school that so values, you know, that feeling of family. I mean, I I've written before and I've said before how much it feels like a family and for all the reasons that I've said and written before about Pullman and the school and everything else that he truly does want to earn his way in to that family. Because again, like I said, none of these kids were recruited by him. Well, maybe they were recruited by him, but they certainly didn't commit to play for his school and they haven't been playing for him. He is coming into a situation where these are not his football players. These are not football players. He's been coaching for the last, however long they have individually been here. And it's, I want to point out too, it's a pretty tough situation to walk into. If you are a brand new football coach, it's not easy to go into a situation where you're with these brand new kids and you need to get them to believe in you. Now, Nick Rolovich will spend the next, you know, eight, nine months doing that leading up to the start of the 2020 season. And he'll probably even do some of that during the season. But I think it was as good a start as you could have asked from a guy who really kind of earned his stripes at a hard place to win football games. And I think that these players know that. And I think it's genuine when he says, too, that this is the best collection of players he's ever coached before. Because talent-wise, it certainly is. We talked on Tuesday about how the Washington State job is similar to the Hawaii job in that it is resource scant. It is resource poor. And from that standpoint, Nick Rolovich really knows what he's doing. But it is still true to say that this is the best collection of football players, talent-wise, that he's ever had. Again, the honor to coach. And I, I again, I, I, I think that... I've listened to that a few times and it leaves you feeling warm and fuzzy on the inside, as weird as that is to say. And again, maybe my bias is showing here, but a coach who came into that meeting room very humble and not, you know, saying, you know, this is how we're going to do it. Not that anybody would do that right off the bat, but he came in very humble and looking to be accepted by these players, looking for them, not necessarily to validate him, but to open their arms and say, welcome to this family. And he knows that's going to be a slow process. And that's why he asked them to do that. So I thought that was very interesting. And I I really liked that and wanted to share it with you. He did have his formal press conference uh, on Thursday as well. Again, a very active Thursday in Pullman. We haven't even gotten to the football schedule yet for 2020. Um, 33rd coach in school history. He had some of his Hawaii assistant coaches uh, with him there, including Craig Stutzman, who was the passing game coordinator and offensive coordinator. It's going to be interesting to see, uh, if he sticks around, because I think it's been kicked around that he might be a uh, Nick Rolovich's replacement, uh, at Hawaii. Um, so, or excuse me, passing game coordinator and quarterbacks coach, not the offensive coordinator. So, um, whether he sticks around or not, don't know, but he was at least in Pullman, uh, for this press conference. Um, and again, he, he won the press conference. I think my favorite quote was definitely, uh, the number one question I've gotten is how's the weather? What attracted me here is not the weather. It's the climate, the Cougar climate, the passion that I've seen since I've stepped into this city and this campus. Yeah. I I mean, that's part of what I've seen is, is the, is Nick Rolovich going to like Pullman after living in Hawaii for so long. I mean, keep in mind, the guy did live in Reno for a little while while he was the offensive coordinator at Nevada. And it's not exactly like Reno weather-wise is that awesome. It has some of the same problems Pullman does. Uh, But a guy who at that press conference said all the right things and got you really hyped up and believing in him. And like Chun said, like he said, this is not a rebuild. We are not rebuilding anything, and I I think he said, I'm paraphrasing here, but you know, what Rolovich said is, this is not a rebuild. The permits are up for the addition. We are going to make this better. You gotta win the press conference, you gotta win the players, and so far, it seems like Nick Rolovich has done a pretty darn good job of doing that, and so far, this is an absolute home run by Pat Chun. And it makes me all the more nervous that Pat Chun is this good of an athletic director and nobody has really noticed yet outside of Washington State. Or maybe they have. Please continue to not notice. Please. Please. (laughs) Please keep not noticing. What a Thursday in Pullman, Washington. And I, I mean, I'm just, I'm genuinely still just, I'm bouncing on air. What what a day in Pullman. We're going to talk a little bit more about Nick Rolovich. Kinoa Carlson from Hawaii News Now. So kind to give us some time uh, to talk about the coach. He used to have a weekly coaches show with, so he knows Nick Rolovich pretty much inside now. We still have the Pac-12 schedule to get to and our Dunderhead of the week. Ask Michael anything. It's all coming up here on a packed edition of the Cook Center Hour. Back on the Kook Center Hour, we are joined by Kainoa Carlson of Hawaii News Now. He actually hosted the Nick Rolovich show for a couple of years there. And Kainoa, you're at Polynesian Bowl practice right now on Oahu. It's snowing where I am and where most of the listeners are. Can you just describe? I just I would love a little description of the weather just so I can live vicariously uh, through you for a moment. Yeah, well, I mean,
2: you're, you're probably going to be pretty jealous. I'm not going to lie. That's uh, fine. standing out That's here. Fine. It's a beautiful... Uh, it's a beautiful 80 degrees out here. We're over here at Aloha Stadium. Uh, it's the first uh, practice of the Polynesian Bowl. It's one of the premier high school all-star games mm-hmm. that's taking place out here. Sun is shining. The weather is bright. Uh, it's a, It's Over here is a great day for football.
1: Oh, God. <laughs> that just... I'm, I'm warmer just hearing about that. That's, that's so nice. Um, we brought you on for your Nick Rolovich expertise, and I know you got a lot of it. Uh, I want to start out with, though, I, I know a lot of folks, you know, we've seen the overall record, and I, I don't think that's important to look at, 28 and 27, because he was rebuilding a bit his first couple of years, but won 10 games uh, in 2019 at Hawaii. The first time that's been done in a long time since June Jones was in honolulu so what what did that really do for that program last year and how good of a season was that for them
2: yeah i mean it was a special year here on the island obviously we're in one of the most unique situations here when you decide to become the head coach of the university of hawaii football program because of a couple of different reasons the main one being the fact that you know out here in hawaii we don't have professional sports the Mm -hmm. big sport the most covered sport the The Super Bowl sport that all of us media journalists here cover is the University of Hawaii football program. And so this job is one of the most scrutinized. It's one of the most covered. It's one of the most celebrated uh, jobs in Hawaii. And you're one of the most notable figures uh, when you come out here. And, you know, obviously Nick took over the program at a time. Uh, after the Norm Chow era, where that was a lot of losing football games, it was a really difficult time for the state. Uh, I believe he won a single-digit amount of games in four years, so mm-hmm. that's just to give you a little bit of perspective, you know. And in four years, they didn't even win ten games combined. I believe it was something crazy like that. Yeah. Uh, so for him to come here, rebuild the program the the way that the way that he did following the Norm Chow era. I mean, it was really impressive. He was a guy that played here as a a player back in the early 2000s. He knew Hawaii. He understood the importance of the program, the importance of doing well for the state, representing Hawaii, you know, to the best that he could possibly do it. And uh, it was kind of a perfect storm this past season because we had seen flashes since day one that he took over that, you know, this could – be special this could be someone that could bring the program back to relevance mm-hmm. uh, and i'll never forget in his introductory press conference he actually said the first thing he said was he he got up in front of everyone he grabbed the mic and he said you know i liken us to pride rock we were great once and we can be great again mm-hmm. and uh, the the fact that you know he's going to end his tenure here Uh, with 10 wins this past season. It's the, the first time they've done it in, you know, nearly a decade. It's really brought Hawaii football back to a place where it hasn't been brought us out of the dark ages from that Norm Chow era. And, uh, All of the the people, the coaches, the community, obviously when they found out about the news were very sad, very heartbroken, but very supportive of Nick and his
1: family and
2: very grateful for everything that he's done for this program.
1: Yeah, I I wanted to ask that next actually. It's a nice segue into my next question because I know, you know, Washington State fans are at least kind of familiar with the beloved coach uh leaving very suddenly without much of a warning when Tony Bennett left for Virginia. I know there was a bit of vitriol. I will say I'm maybe underselling that bit in terms of the amount of uh, anger <laughs> right, there, but how, how are Hawaii fans reacting to Rolovich leaving? I mean, I, you know, I mean, we obviously knew Virginia was a better job for Tony Bennett. And I think Hawaii fans know this Washington state jobs, a pretty good job uh, comparatively anyway, but how, how are they reacting to his departure? So far? Right. Obviously kind of just as,
2: as I mentioned, you know, very supportive, very grateful for the job, mm-hmm. the work, the time, and the pillar that he's been, you know, in the community, he he's done so much for the program. His face has been attached to so many great things and donations. And and the Hawaii fan base is, is very loyal and they understand everything that he's done for this program. And obviously, I, I mean, questions slowly started to loom right after that BYU game. Nationally televised game in the Hawaii Bowl on ESPN, you know, getting the chance to advance to the Mountain West Conference championship game. And, you know, they just had such a great season. Uh, Obviously, this is a huge opportunity for Nick and his family. He's got children. And so the Hawaii community here that has embraced him so much since he was a player Doing the same as he makes this transition uh, in mm-hmm. his career, everyone here very supportive, very grateful for the job and the work
1: that he's done. You mentioned, uh, I mean, the resources at that job are are minimal, and I, I I think that's you know he's certainly walking into more at Washington State, but it's another situation where his competitors are going to be much more resource rich than he is. Uh, certainly at Washington State, they've made some facility upgrades, but even those have been met and passed by other Pac-12 institutions since then. What did he do at Hawaii that worked in terms of you know, getting the players he wanted there and working with those facilities at the school that, that really kind of got them to where they were last year?
2: Yeah, what I think really makes him unique is the fact that he wasn't obviously unaware of the fact that this is a mid-major and that even in the Mountain West Conference alone, they were facing challenges in terms of resources that maybe schools like Boise State didn't have. And, mm-hmm. and so he would. what I think he's really, really great at is utilizing what he does have and getting the full potential out of it, looking at situations, looking at facilities, looking at players, looking at personnel, not focusing on what they can't do, things that aren't there, but focusing on, okay, well, this is here, we have this. Maybe if we do this, we can be successful. So I think he's he's done a really good job of of utilizing the tools, the resources that are at his disposal, not so much focusing, don't get me wrong, he always wants better for the players for the program, mm-hmm. uh, for the personnel. but he's just he's really good at utilizing the tools uh, that he has and really pulling the max potential out of those things.
1: What, you you kind of already described it a little bit. I mean, obviously the winning helps. Was was there any one thing in particular that made him really likable to Hawaii fans? I mean, obviously uh, they loved him because he played at Hawaii. He spent some time there, I believe, before he was the offensive coordinator at Nevada as well. But was there any like one particular thing that made him really likable to everybody? Or was it just that the football team won a lot while he was there? (laughs) No, yeah, I
2: mean, uh, Hawaii is a unique place, you know, this is an isolated place, Uh, you're embraced for going about things the right way, having aloha spirit, we like to call it over here on the islands, and I think he really embodied that, you know, he gave much more than he received, and, you know, he, uh, again, uh, and I can't stress this enough, this job that he's in here. You know, with the fact that we don't have pro sports, it's such a scrutinized position. And he did Mm -hmm. such a good job of being in the community. I don't think uh, people were afraid to go up to him, take pictures, ask about the team. And, you know, in a situation like this, sometimes... And obviously, you know this covering sports. Coaches at times, there's a broad range of personalities. Oh, yes. uh, (laughs) Yeah, some uh, don't love to be in the media. Some don't love, uh, you know, some are more private. Some are more reserved. Some don't mind being out there. And so I think the likable part about Rolo is that he never was shy about being in the community, regardless of who you were um, or what your job title was he always made himself available to the community for questions and any concerns that people had around the program. Mm -hmm. He was always great about being in the community and answering those types of things. And he's just a quirky, funny guy. We're just up at, uh, you know, the, uh, you know, the media days, he's become kind of a, uh, you know, it's like must see TV. He's done the Britney Spears thing. He's done Mm -hmm. an Elvis impersonator. So his personality as well makes him a, very interesting
1: cat. You keep you keep getting to my questions perfectly here, right, as I segue <laughs> into them, Kainoa, because uh, my next one was obviously Washington State loses a coach in Mike Leach that the dude was out there personality-wise in a lot of ways, and it kind of seems to me, as you noted, we're getting a guy who's kind of out there personality-wise in a lot of ways. Is there anything besides that? I mean, it was an Elvis impersonator or a Britney Spears impersonator. I think a tarot card reader or fortune teller at Mountain West Media Days last year or something like that. Is there anything else that like you kind of look at and go, this dude just fits being in an isolated place really oh, yeah. well
2: <laughs> yeah and uh, you, you know another big, uh, big hit was always the spring games I think this past year he came out in a full blown uh, clown suit because he was all about making it uh, making football fun and he had a carnival theme I mean there was popcorn there was he came out in a full blown clown wig with clown glasses and clown shoes
1: well, um, I'm I'm indeed. I'm frightened of clowns. I might not do too well for me, but I I I, I like the th- I like the themed spring games at least. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, spring games are always a big hit, and it's actually
2: it's actually really funny. I was never a big reader into those types of things, telling the futures and whatnot. But when I was at Mountain West Media Day with him, the tarot card reader looked at him and said, "Be happy.
1: You have much to celebrate in your future." And here we are having this conversation. There we go. Exactly. So. <laughs> Let's, let's actually talk a little bit about football now. <laughs> We've talked about oh, this God. guy a little bit, but the system is pretty similar What he's what he's coming into uh, at Washington State. They ran the pure air raid. It was Mike Leach. Not a lot of changes in terms of his offensive philosophy over the past 20 years. He ran a lot of the same stuff. Nick Rolovich's run and shoot is not the exact same as that air raid offense, but still plenty of passing, right? And a little bit more running, but some of that comes from the quarterback, right? Yeah, definitely, and he's a master
2: of, of the run-and-suit offense. He's, learned, he's had it passed down through the legends who have taught it, who have run it, who have coached it, who have played in it. Uh, you know, obviously, he played under Coach June Jones, who had an unbelievable understanding of that offense. Uh, Dick Tomey, who the originator of it, you know, mm-hmm. obviously when he left here was the winningest coach in Hawaii history. Uh, the, the passing, the the running, it's, it's a complex offense, uh, but – I think what's important is is the fact that size in this offense is the most interesting thing because this is an offense where you don't need your prototypical six five outside receiver that runs four four. I mean, the recruits that we were getting coming in from the junior colleges and and high school guys that were coming in, some of them weren't five ten. I believe yeah. Cedric Bird just made first team All Mountain West Conference this past season at five nine, playing Div one football with over a thousand yards and ten touchdowns. So. You know, this is an offense uh, that you don't need your prototypical NFL body-size, physicality guys to run and be successful. It's all about running into pockets, running into space, and Coach Rolo, having played in it, has done a wonderful job of transitioning that into into coaching.
1: Going to expect a little bit more interceptions, like I said, and I I think the big thing for a lot of us is it has caused some issues uh, in terms of... Interceptions with some of our quarterbacks. I know it's a little bit more interception heavy. How does this offense do against really good defenses? Because that's been the bugaboo of the air raid for a long time in Pullman is that against really good defenses, it just kind of seemingly shuts down.
2: Right. And uh, I, I, defenses, <laughs> great defensive fronts always make it tough. A lot of the time, especially in air raid offenses, just like the run and shoot, these guys are going to be rushing three, dropping eight. Um, so. You know, I, I found that where Hawaii would struggle offensively uh, at times would be uh, when those guys would be able to get home. Uh, different packages in which defenses were able to put pressure and kind of, because the, the run-and-shoot offense is so based primarily on timing, you know, mm-hmm. timing of the routes, timing of the ball coming out of the quarterback's hands. So anytime we see defenses that were physical up front and were able to put pressure with the front seven, uh th- th- they struggled at times but um you know again a-, a quarterback like we had this past season in cole mcdonald was more mobile athletically and physically than quarterbacks we've had in the past that obviously had a lot to do with it and you know uh defenses basically try and try and make you run because they look i mean the-, the stat sheet doesn't like our quarterbacks here were throwing 50 to 60 times a game so obviously not not a lot of running plays
1: yeah too well one last question and I swore I'd never do this because I got so sick of it when Leach was here and reporters asking him weird questions and all that good stuff but I have to do it with the new coach. What do you have like a favorite story about him because everything I've heard the, the guy kind of is like you've described him as kind of like legendarily weird when it comes to, you know, interactions uh, you know, at media days but he's also in the community. Do you have like a favorite story of Rolo that you that comes to the top of your mind right away?
2: Oh. Favorite Rolo story? Uh, <laughs> uh, I think that... Uh, you, you, you know what's interesting? is uh, We mic'd him up. We we, we do uh, the Nick Rolovich show, as I mentioned here. Uh, I helped produce that show. And we, might, we would mic him up uh, for practices and such. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think just... I, I don't have one Rolo story that kind of stands out just off the top of my head. But I thought the most interesting thing was that how he is mic'd up is... 95% how he is <laughs> in general even yeah. when he's coaching and he's pulling us to the side, you know, and the way he's talking to guys, the jokes that he's making, he's quirky, he loves football uh, I got a lot of good Rulovich stories,
1: but I think I gotta save them for me, my friend No, that's, that's no, I, I mean we, it is a podcast, we're not limited in time, but yeah, we don't, yeah the, the ha- a half hour worth of them might be too much i know it carlson from hawaii news now thank you sir so much for the insights on wazoo's new football coach
2: cheers buddy thanks for having me on
1: all right let's talk about a little bit more football here let's talk about the 2020 schedule which came out a half hour before rolovich's press conference i want to point out can the pac 12 time that a little worse please a half hour before one of your member institutions introduces a new football coach and you release the schedule maybe wait until friday or Monday. I don't really care which, but good God. Woof. Okay. Anyway, Pac-12 schedule came out. We already knew Utah State, Houston, Idaho to open the season. So beginning on September 26th, away at Oregon State, home against Cal, home against Utah, away against Stanford, then a bye on the 24th, Halloween against Arizona State in Pullman, then at Colorado, at UCLA, home against Oregon, and then Black Friday in Pullman, Against Washington. Uh, We'll get to those last two weeks. Here in a second. I think overall though. Looking at that up and down. It's not too bad. It's better than last year. Where you had that stretch from September 22nd. Until what was it like. November 15th. Where you had one home game. So you're not getting that huge long stretch. With. With not playing in Pullman and we kind of thought, you know, that home cooking was really what they needed against Colorado and they clearly showed it last year, just the one by this year, because it's a 13 week season instead of 14 weeks last year. But I, I think that you look up and down that you get four of your first six in Pullman. The weather should be nice on the whole for the alums who like the nice weather, like I do. Uh And, I, I think, you know, your easier games are on the road. Your harder ones are where you want to play them in Pullman, right? That hardest road game, probably, honestly, the opener against Utah State in Logan. Hard to play off the bat against what was a pretty decent Utah State Aggies team last year. And you got to go on the road to do that. Then home against Houston and Idaho. And Houston's not going to have Derek King. That was the thing that was scaring me for that game this year and he's not going to be there. So Dana Holgerson's pretty much, I mean, goodness me, I have no idea who's even left on that team anymore. The opener against Oregon State gets a little bit spicier now with finding out apparently Oregon State fans really don't like Nick Rolovich. And that has to do with Rolovich publicly calling out Jonathan Smith for sending Rolovich's players letters. I think it was like to come to their spring game or something. While they were on Hawaii's roster. And then Rolovich beat Oregon State last year. And he put up like a picture of like the Rose Bowl logo on his Twitter feed or something. And said he should be leading the Pac-12. So, alright, maybe they have a reason to not like him. But it's it's fine. It's fine. high time for that rivalry to get a little spicy. And it finally has. So, that's one heck of a way to kick off your Pac-12 road slate. Uh, home against California and Utah, boy, two frustrating defenses right off the top at home in Pac-12 play, but Utah should be losing a lot of talent on that side of the football this coming season. Cal loses Evan Weaver, but again, they always seem to play really well, and Utah always seems to be fine on defense as well. Stanford in Palo Alto. Mike Leach isn't there to frustrate uh, to frustrate David Shaw anymore, so good for David Shaw, but I think, again, still maybe an easier game uh, on the road for Washington State. Jaden Daniels and Arizona State have to come to Pullman. And that's a place Arizona State has historically struggled. Although we try to take it on a year-by-year basis. But it is a place they haven't played well. The last time they were in Pullman on Halloween, that really didn't go well. Uh, I think, really, again, then, your only other tough road game, probably in Boulder against Colorado. The weather probably not going to be great. UCLA, in theory, should be better. But remember last time they played in November at the Rose Bowl? Oh, yeah. I do. They won that football game. So... Um, I, I, and that's also what I'd like to go to. Pasadena is very nice at that time of year. Uh, so overall, those first 11 weeks, (laughs) I even like where the bye week is pretty much right smack in the middle of the season. That's, that's a really nice place for the bye week. Now (laughs) let's talk about those last two weeks. The Black Friday, let's get the Black Friday apple cup out of the way. That's not going anywhere. Not until the new TV contract's gone. Because the conference, like, clearly they like where it is. They like having that inventory on Black Friday. They like playing that game on Black Friday. They like having it for their TV. Their TV partners probably like it on Black Friday. That game, in all likelihood, not moving anywhere for a while. Because remember too, the trade-off with this new TV contract was that weekday home games were going to have to be played. Even in Pullman... Even though it's hard to get to. Washington State had to agree to that. And they were going to have to do it. I think if your one weekday game a year is that Apple Cup. Yeah, I get that Black Friday is a difficult ask. Traveling wise. But at least your fans have the day before. And most of them have day of off of work. And... I believe a lot of the time they put that game at night when it's in Pullman. Although I do remember, I think one year they did have a noon start. So it's not ideal. But I think for me, if the trade-off is that that's the game that's on Friday every year in conference play, then I'm probably okay with it. Because although they did fill the stadium out for USC in 2017 on a Friday night, it is a very difficult proposition to get people to Pullman on a weekday night, even if that weekday is Friday. It's hard to get people to Pullman. They did show out for that game because USC was ranked and it was a big, 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 big game. But imagine you got Wazoo Cal on a Friday night. That stadium's going to be empty. And I guarantee you the school probably wouldn't be very happy with it because they're not going to sell a lot of tickets. And there goes one of their main ways to make some money during the season. Speaking of games, they're not going to be happy with ticket sales-wise. The real bugaboo here is where the Oregon game is. Right? This is, I think, the latest in the year they've played Oregon in a long, long time. And I would gladly swap out Oregon for Arizona State here in terms of home games. UCLA and Oregon too. But again, that there's other scheduling conflicts like UCLA's rival insisting on playing Notre Dame every year. So that causes scheduling bugaboos. So, I, I agree that there are more ideal ways this could have been done. Especially when you're talking about the Oregon game, which is always, 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 when it's at home every other year, that's one of WSU's biggest gates. They make a ton of money from that game. The game almost always sells out. They always sell a ton of tickets. Even, you know, Oregon fans, Wazi fans who don't have season tickets, they sell a ton of tickets. And it's in about as unideal a place <laughs> as it's possible to get. Because it's that Saturday game of Thanksgiving break that the students all bail for, that even the alums don't really come over for, but their season tickets are paid for, so the school doesn't really care about that, I don't think. Uh, but it's it's not in a good spot. It's really not in a very good spot. And I, I, I've i said before on this show, I don't think the conference... I I will rip Larry Scott a new one, gladly, a lot. But I don't think in this case... When it comes to scheduling, the conference shouldn't just look at one school and say, oh, well, their students are gone for a week, so we can't do a home game that Saturday ever. Right? I know it happened. it seems to happen a lot for Washington State, and I'm sure the schools expressed to the conference they would really prefer to not play this weekend. But I don't think you've taken into consideration, if you're the conference, like extra consideration, like, okay, we really got to like ham bone, you know, we really got to like, like really make sure this doesn't happen even if we it causes us issues. I think the big bugaboo for me in this one is that it's organ is that for the school they're not going to be making the money they could be making from this game otherwise if it was in another better part of the year travel wise uh just timing of the year that the fact that that week is always poorly attended in Pullman um I I think that that is the problem here, right? Even if Oregon's good, even if Washington State is good, the students aren't going to be there. They never are. And I, I just—I guess I've just kind of come to terms with that. I know I said earlier that you know we need to take seats away from them, but I suppose it's just like it's whatever at this point. Even the alums have a hard time kind of dragging themselves there. And I think the thing you worry about in this game is that a lot of Oregon fans, if Oregon's good, they'll go because... You know, it's a, loc- it's a Pacific Northwest away game. It's easy to get to. So, does it create an atmosphere that is not as home-friendly as you might want it to be? I think that's the big issue. I I would trade out any other home game on the schedule for that one to move somewhere else. I would, you know, Cal, Utah, ASU... I would, I would trade any of those to move it to there. I know you can't move the Apple Cup, but I, w- I would trade any of those games to move it to right there. I will say one other thing, too. You better be at six wins after that UCLA game. Because you have a hard time beating Oregon, and until they beat Washington, I I refuse to believe they will. So, I think you have a good chance... I don't know that, they'll, that Washington State will be favored in six of those ten games. But I think they have a good chance to get to ten or to six wins before then. But you really need to do it before you get to that week. Otherwise, that bowl streak will end right there. And even if you're only sitting on six, we're probably going to the Independence Bowl in Shreveport. Not that I would complain about going to Louisiana. This is a long way to go. But the food's probably really good there. So, uh, yeah. I, I think that's, that's the big problem with the schedule. I think the rest of it, though, it, it shaped up pretty nicely. So, I, overall... Give it a letter grade of like a B. Maybe B minus if you really don't like where that Oregon game is. Probably about that. Okay, Dunderhead of the Week. Ask Michael anything on the other side of the fight song here. See you. <laughs> Underhead of the week time. Uh, if you live in a, even like I would say a moderately sized city where Uber, Lyft, you know, ride sharing services are prevalent, you kind of know the, at least the, the, uh, like, I don't even really know how to describe it, but just kind of like the frustration I guess would be a good word of just like cars like whipping around, you know, like, usually Priuses, you know, like whipping weird UE turns and just like, Shooting in, like, cutting you off to pick up someone or whatever it is. I, I know it all too well. Driving in downtown Seattle fairly often. Uh, on the occasion I do drive to and from work, but also just to go places downtown. Uh, I had a brand new one today, and it was actually in West Seattle, which is a little quieter. If those of you don't know, uh, it's, it's it's in Seattle, but it's it's very suburby. It's not uh, not you know like really in the city type place. Um, driving around on a side street. Uh, you know, just, like, between homes. And there was an Uber parked in the middle of the street with parking available on each side. No hazard lights on, no nothing. And it's, like, dark. I mean, yeah, you can see the brake lights, but, like, oh my god, dude. Like, if I'm coming up on you quick, that's bad. But the best part is, is when I honked at him to move i suppose i could have gone around in the empty parking spaces but it was a very tight fit and my wife and i just bought a car and i was driving it and i do not want to ding it on anything i got flipped off because he was blocking the road and not moving and couldn't just bother to park in one of those spots and yes i know it was an uber driver i saw the little uber thing in his rear window and the little uber thing he had like lit up in the front end, like one of those little ones you can line up if you're gonna be a rideshare park move out of the way of people who need to drive please god it's annoying as all get out and I don't like being flipped off when I'm not doing anything wrong if I'm doing something wrong flip me off but not when I'm not doing anything wrong okay ask Michael anything time yeah I mean, if I did something wrong just go ahead and give me the old bird totally acceptable it's very funny a uh, little lighter on the questions today, but you guys came through in the emergency show, man. We got inundated with questions, so I really appreciate that to no end. I really do truly have the best listeners. At cq 8606 Sean, original Nintendo Mario Brothers, Super Mario Bros. 3, or Super Mario World? Which is your favorite, and why? None of them. Super Mario 64. I never really played any of those. Like I, I got an SNES when I was... I think six and Donkey Kong Country was my jam. Donkey Kong uh, Country and then Donkey Kong Country Two. They had Diddy Kong Racing, I think, for the N64 as well. I liked Mario Kart better, but Diddy Kong Racing was really fun. So I liked all of those better. I think we used to play Super Mario Brothers Two at my cousin's house. That was a lot of fun. But yeah, I, I Super or, uh, Mario 64, whatever it was, it was Mario 64. I think it was just Mario 64, wasn't it? Is that all the name was? Or was it Super Mario 64? I can't remember, and I'm filibustering now while my internet, which has been running so slow, uh, Super Mario 64, so I did have it right there. Okay, see, there you go. Uh, that was the one I really actually preferred. At Lil Taco 21, Thomas Beeson, was the Astros' punishment sufficient for the crime? Should Altuve and Springer be forced to play for the Mariners' punishment? God! Don't do that to someone. Um, yeah, all the stuff that came to light on Thursday. Five million bucks, a couple of draft picks in your GM and manager suspended for a year. That uh, does not seem like enough. <laughs> I mean, like I, I think empty stadiums for some home games would be good. Like that at the bare minimum to really hurt the team. But i I can get talked into an asterisk on that World Series title. I really could. I, I'm sure the Dodgers are thrilled. Astros were probably cheating. Red Sox were also probably cheating. They're just awesome. At the last zoom, Max Corgi, why does our scheduled deity hate us? Oh, we talked about that a little bit. I don't think there's like hate involved here anywhere. But Oregon watch Washington game, certainly not a great time. Uh, at WC Brady 27, El Rolo Loco. If you could get rid of one Pac-12 mascot, which would it be and why? Oh. I mean, the Stanford tree is the easy answer, but I don't want to. Let's not do the easy answer. I don't want to do the easy answer. Oski, Oski the cow bear. He just, he looks dumpy, and he moves around kind of slow. He don't really do anything. Yeah, that's uh, yeah. At Kylan, Kylan Robinson, your garbage disposal breaks. Do you replace it yourself or hire a plumber? <laughs> Jokes on you, Kylan. I don't have a garbage disposal under my sink. I gotta use like one of those little strainer catch things to get all the food debris that flows uh, off my plates. I would give replacing it myself a shot. I would be horrible at it because I am just aberrant at home improvement, anything. My wife is awesome at it. I am horrible. (laughs) Um, but I've, I've also always had like a phobia about even like reaching in to clear out a garbage disposal because like of it, like, turning on in your hand, just getting, like, freaking mangled or whatever. I've always... I don't want to mess with that. That's 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 no bueno. That's, yeah. I don't want to mess with that. Rolo. Number eight team in the country upset. Schedule out. Second show this week, too. What a week it has been. We'll see you next time on the Cook Center Hour.